Welcome to Humani, I'm Brian Hirsch. This evening, we're focusing on the short-term industry. Six weeks ago, the Ombudsman for the Short-Term Insurance released the 2017 annual report in which acts of nature featured prominently. 13% of all complaints submitted concerned such claims. For any, many who don't know how Dehan's office actually does, the amount of formal complaints finalised stood at 9,962 and recovered more than 87 million for consumers. And joining this evening is Deanne Wood, the Ombudsman for Short-Term Insurance, and Craig Poger, Director of the Poger Group. Deanne, Craig, lovely to have you. Thanks for being here. Deanne, staggering numbers. Nine, 9, 000, over 9,000 complaints sorted, and 87 million recovered, which means if we didn't have your office uh, insured with that amount of money, would not have had their claims paid. So just, just take us through how your office works. Well, um, our office deals with um, complaints. Um, you have to be an insurance consumer, either wanting to take out a policy or holding a policy to approach our office, and you submit a complaint, and our office will investigate and then attempt um, to resolve the complaint, either in favor of you or um, upholding the decision that the insurer made. And, 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 and in t I mean, in terms of overturn, I mean, is that high or low? Would you like to see it go down? Would you like to see insurance companies be a little bit more proactive in sorting out claims? Because once you overturn it, is it binding on the insurance companies? Once we overturn the matter, if we, if it, um, we make a final decision, uh, then it is binding on the uh, insurance company. Mostly we make recommendations and the insurers abide by the recommendations that our, our office makes. Clay, bringing in as our broker and our resident broker for all these years, I mean, are you finding insurance companies being more difficult with claims? Well, not necessarily more difficult with claims. I think just across the board, from underwriting to um, an appetite for the risk, and rightly so, the insurance companies have had to deal with a lot of claims, unfortunately, in the last 12 to 24 months with the fires in the Cape, um, obviously the storms locally. So this is all having a ripple effect now, and I think that the market will get and uh, continue to be tougher. But very important, we're finding that it's now ever so more important to underwrite at inception as opposed to at claim stage. So for us, we, we, we need to partner the insurers to understand the risk and, of course, make sure that the client understands the policy as well, which is, is, uh, is great in, in, in identifying all the needs and wants of the, the consumer. Because, yeah, that's really a problem. Yeah. Consumers don't read their policies. Well, I, I mean, they thick documents. You know, you've got the first page, and then you've got to go in. And how many of them actually do read their policies? Well, unfortunately, not enough, because that is one of the, the, the key issues that we deal with. It's the fact that policyholders really don't understand what they're, um, what they're buying. And at the end of the day, it is a contract, and you're bound by the terms of that contract. And ultimately, that will dictate how it ends up for you. And I think a lot of policyholders don't realize that the time for, for negotiating or asking for things is before the contract is, is actually entered into. That's when you can negotiate with your insurer and say, this is what I want and this is what I don't want. But once you've signed on the dotted line, then you're bound by the contract. Um, but if I can pick up on something that Craig said, which we're seeing a lot of, and that is um, for, for our office, we, we are encouraging insurers to assess the risk at the at sales stage. Um, but unfortunately, many insurers 
look to, um, to assess the risk at, at claim stage. And that also leads to many disgruntled, unhappy policyholders. And that's also up to the broker or the agent involved to ask the right questions. And I always say to people, make sure, however trivial it is, you give that information. So you make the point rather underwrite at, at, at before when you take out the policy rather than afterwards, Craig. Well, that's the importance of a broker, Brian. Let the broker identify what needs to be asked, make sure that the questions are understood by the consumer. And of course, there's material um, questions that need to be answered. Do you have burglar bars on your opening windows? Have you had previous claims, be it material or non-material? That's why brokers today are are key to, to uh, a sound insurance contract between policyholder and the insurer. Dan, I was a little surprised in your report this year that 13% of the claims that you dealt with and you overturned were de dealing with acts of nature. I would have thought that it wasn't that complicated at time of underwriting when you're talking about fire and storm and that type of thing. Well, I think that um, there w it was a particularly spectacular year from an acts of nature perspective in 2017. But I also think that insurers were aware of that. And we didn't see many uh, claims from the Neisner fires, for example, because I think the industry did step up and they did pay out and there weren't as many dis disgruntled um, complainants. Um, and so we, ex we expected that. But what we do see a lot of, um, and it is quite a high, high percentage, are people who don't maintain their, their properties. Then the, the rains come, floods happen, and the insurer rejects the claim because the roof hasn't been properly maintained. Um, and uh, provided they're within their right to do so, there's little we can do to assist them. Um, and so then they're not actually covered. Well, we're going to take a break. You can call us. You've got an opportunity to speak to the Ombudsman. 011-483-1518. Stay tuned. We'll be back shortly. Welcome back to your remaining this evening. We're discussing short-term insurance. My guests are Deanne Wood, the Ombudsman for Short-Term Insurance, and Craig Poger, a director of the Poe Group. And you'd like to call us, 011-483-1518. You can still email me on brian at bdtv.co.za. Trevor, good evening. Would you like to go over with a question? Hello, Brian. Yeah, I want to know if you can insure against cyber risks. Oh, big one, Craig. Cyber risk. Absolutely. I mean, because I suppose we could spend the whole program, and I, I, would, I don't know yet in your office if you've had a lot of claims that you've brought to your attention. Cyber risk, Craig? It's a, it's a hot topic of discussion at the moment, and yes, you can insure against cyber risk, very, but it entails to deal with a specialist. A specialist that understands what cyber liability insurance is. It's subject to very often a completed proposal form, so it's very business-specific. And without the proposal form, it is very difficult for an underwriter to insure the risk or even quote on that. But yes, it is available and uh, it's become very popular from a cover point of view. Craig, very similar to professional indemnity, completed application form and proposal, which is so different to the trust existing between brokers and insurers. And those specialists, professional indemnity insurance, cyber liability, commercial crime, these are all very much focused on specific businesses for specific needs. And again, the proposal form would entail asking those questions that identify the risk of the insured. And very important is for us, 
It's about material and what's not material. And cyber liability is become very popular. Unfortunately, claims are starting to happen in that uh, segment of the market. So one needs to identify. And if you are in an IT company, and we all are, we all have computers, so we all have um, the risk of being hacked in the event of um, you know, and having some form of cyber liability to, to protect you. Jill, good evening. Go ahead to the question, please. Um, hello, this is a question for Deanne. Um, I'd like to know, are you finding more problems with claims where insurance is bought direct? There's a, there's a belief that you don't get asked all the questions when people... And, and uh, uh, Jill's well, question? I think, um, Brian, to answer Jill, uh, we see very specific types of, of um, complaints coming to our office from the direct insurers. Um, and we see different types of claims coming from the brokers. I don't have a, a statistic for you to give an, an accurate answer about uh, where we're getting more or less. Um, but there is a lot of misunderstanding. So it's the exceptions that, um, the, and the exclusions in the direct market where a broker, um, as Craig has pointed out, a broker would typically explain those exclusions and make sure that they're properly understood. We see a lot of people not understanding exclusions. And then the other biggie is the excesses, where excesses are, pl are applied and a direct um, a telesales person runs off with all the excesses and the consumer doesn't actually understand the extent of those excesses and why they're getting such a deal on their premium um, because actually they're, they're massive loadings on the excess. Deanne, how do you feel about the fact that majority of insurance is done without a proposal form? It's very different to the life industry, the pensions industry. Well, I think that it's, it's important that it, it's, it's not done without any form. So there isn't an initial form, but there must be uh, documents that are sent to the policyholder uh, following the conclusion of that um, contract, and they have to be sent um, within 30 days. And that sets out. But the problem is that people don't read those. They get the email, they've got the document, and they file it. Um, and they don't actually read through them, but they are required to. And when you go through those sales conversations, you will hear all of the sales scripts should um, remind policyholders that they must read through those policies, but it's not done. And that is a duty on the policyholder. And I can't stress that enough. And I, and I, I try to stress it as, as frequently as I can. People must read their policies. No. We've been saying that for years, read your policies. Read Craig, the policies there are not too many important. people who read policies, are there? <laughs> I'm, Ryan, an, I'm an exception. Ryan, you're an exception. <laughs> I'm an exception. <laughs> Jade, good evening. Go ahead with the question, please. Hi, uh, good evening, panel. Uh, I'd just like to find out what is it meant by a lack of maintenance on a roof? I bought a house, and um, this house never had an underlay, you know, the plastic underlay that comes on, uh, uh, with the houses. So when I had a problem with, with water coming through, EPSA told me that, uh, you know, it's a lack of maintenance, but I haven't seen people climbing up their roofs all my life. You know, how do you define lack of maintenance on a roof? Do people go up every 15 months or it's like, you know, your car has to be serviced every time? They couldn't give an answer. Eventually, I stripped the roof and I, at my own cost, I rebuilt it. Thank, Thank you, Jake. So we'll can you please shed some light on that? Thank, Thank you, Dan. It's such a great question because it goes to um, the heart of insurance and what so many people don't understand what they're doing is they are entering into an agreement with the insurer and the insurer says i'm willing to take on certain risks and there's certain risks that i'm not willing to take on and then those will be listed in the policy so amongst those are where there is 
either something that hasn't been built properly, so it's not going to withstand a storm because it wasn't built to withstand a storm, and the insurer will generally say, I'm not prepared to take that risk, so I'm not going to insure you for that. Or they will say, if you don't maintain your roof properly so it becomes more susceptible to storm damage, I'm also not willing to, uh, to insure you. So it's absolutely the policyholders to answer the question directly, yes, it is your responsibility to make sure that if there is a waterproofing membrane, that that membrane is kept um, in a state where it will continue to waterproof, or if you're, you have tiles, that you don't have leaks in those tiles. Otherwise, you enter into the area where an insurer just simply doesn't take on the risk. Craig, I mean, you say to people, maintain your property, but what about getting insurance companies to actually come out to your home and do an assessment before? Do they, are they prepared to do that? Are they prepared, I mean, let's say people have got common property, you're in a complex where you've got uh, common walls. I mean, will the insurance come out and give you an indication of what you should insure those walls for? So, Brian, that, hap more, that happens more on a commercial risks as opposed to personal lines risks. On commercial, the uh, insurance companies will send out surveyors to dis determine if there's enough fire extinguishers and help risk and manage that business. But personal lines, the only surveyors or would be uh, companies that go out and do detailed inventories, value your homeowners or your contents. But on the personal lines, it's very hard to find an insurer who will send somebody out to actually look at that your gutters are clear of debris or your piping is correct. So that doesn't happen in the personal line space. Okay. So Jade made that comment that he bought this home he didn't know. I mean, I mean, I think about it. I've never been onto my roof. I mean, I've been onto my roof to see if there are leaves, but I've never gone to see if there's that plastic sheeting and things like that. So what would you suggest to people who, are, I mean, thousands of people got homeowners policies. What would you well, suggest? Policyholders are becoming more aware. And uh, by awareness, you obviously go and make, uh, uh, you, you go look at maintenance, you look at, the, for example, the basics, gutters that are clear of debris, have your uh, roof inspected as often as you can prior to the rainy seasons. So those are the things that you can add. But when you have something as uh, no membrane or no waterproofing, that is, that is an issue that you'll have a very difficult time in sorting out. Well, let me just take David before we take our break. David, good evening. Go ahead with the question. Hi, Brian. Yeah, I just wanted to ask you a question about Sasria. You know, with the looting and the burning taking place in certain parts of South Africa, is this all covered by Sasria? Okay, David, thank you for that question. We will deal with it in the next segment. We're going to take a short break. You can still call us on 011-483-1518. Stay tuned. We'll be back shortly. Welcome back, and if you just joined us this evening, we're talking about short-term insurance. My guests are Deanne Wood, who's the Ombudsman for Short-Term Insurance, and we've got Craig Poger from the Poger Group. Craig, before we went to air, David asked a question about SASRIA, and I always remembered SASRIA in my, the earlier days of insurance being very much around political risk, and are we still accepting that the claims under political risk? Firstly, it's very important cover to have. It's offered on a commercial policy as well as a personal lines policy. It covers you for political right and strike. And it's independent of your insurance company. So it's not always automatic as a policyholder. Under certain um, sections of the policy, one would have to request it. Uh, for example, lo loss of profits under the commercial side of your policy. 
And on the personal line space, obviously motor vehicle attracts it automatically and other sections of the policy being homeowners, householders, insurance. And yes, that does cover you for political right and strike insurance. And as I mentioned to you earlier, it is independent of your insurance company. Craig, so are you saying that policyholders who are unaware that the policy actually excludes political cover or political rights, whatever the case may be, have to request it? Or is it something you as a broker would say automatically include under a house? Is it under the house owners, householders, or risk? Which house section? owners and householders and motor. Motor specifically is usually automatic. Very often, for example, on a commercial product, falls under the fire section of the building, the fire section of that policy as well as buildings combined. But loss of profits, also known as business interruption, that's a cover that one has to request in addition to the automatic covers that Sazria offer. Dan, I see a lot of your claims de dealt with motor. Yes. And I, I also mentioned motor re accidents repudiated result of drunken driving. Yes, still a lot of drunken driving repudiations. Now, is that where they've t tested people at the scene, or is that afterwards an assumption that someone has been drinking under so the influence? I think a lot of people are under the misapprehension that you have to be tested in order to have your claim rejected. But many of the policies will say either exceeding the legal limit, and that infers testing, so that's blood or breathalyzer, or under the influence of alcohol, and that's where most people fall short. Um, and what the insurer will show is that because of the way the person was driving, where they'd been, how much alcohol they'd consumed beforehand, they were on a balance of probabilities under the influence of alcohol. Um, and they will reject the claim on That's that basis. That's amazing. Probably, on the evidence of probability. On the evidence of probability because it's a civil, it's, we're in civil law, so not criminal law. So you don't have to show it. Um, you just have to show that the probabilities are such that given how much this person consumed and they will get insurers will get investigators to go out and find out where you were get a restaurant to produce the slip a waiter who'll remember how much you had to drink how much they saw you drink um, and they will produce this evidence and reject it. We see a lot of rejections on that basis. Thank you. Have you ever had many, many of those rejections? Well, we had Where they actually go to the restaurant to have a look at your bill? See, no, <laughs> no, not, not to those specifics, but insurers today have become tougher when it comes to claims at certain, certain times of the day and certain limits on the policy. If you have a claim at a certain time mm. and a certain value, the insurance companies will appoint an investigator. Yeah, and we, we spoke about fairness yes. and people saying it's just not fair, yes. but that's not what insurance is about. Well, I think that I'd be um, hesitant to say it's not about fairness because, of course, there are certain areas where fairness um, from the regulatory environment has become very important. But the point that I was making is that you're buying a very specific product and insurers take on a risk f um, that they identify. And they're not just insuring you for everything and for anything. Um, so there are certain things that they will exclude and policyholders often feel that it's not fair. The insurer should pay me. I pay my premium, therefore I should be covered. But if the insurer has said I'm not taking on that risk, then the insurer is not liable to pay you. Jan, what type of claims brought to your attention where you actually felt that insurers were actually fair in or correct in repudiating the claim? Or is it across the board? It's across the board. We see it's, it's, a, it's a general. There aren't... Um, uh, there's not a category. So we overturn cases of all varying types and we uphold across the board on varying types. Short-term companies, actually, can they come to you or is it only for the consumers? At this stage, um, our office, you can't approach our office because we have, you have to um, encourage 
or you, you would, um, you're required when you reject um, as an insurer to tell your, your policyholder that they can come to our office and then we have to receive a form from the, from the actual policyholder. Now, it, it's a laborious form. It's not an easy form. And a lot of people really don't know how to complete such a form and bring it to your attention. And is it that important how they complete the form and how they put forward their case? No, they can phone us and we have people who speak uh, nine languages in our office and they will assist you in filling in the form. Um, and we are trying to simplify our processes all the time and we're hoping to advance with technology and allow a much more simple process in the future um, to approach our office. I mean, you as a senior counsel have a lot, a lot easier for you to put forward a claim than the average layman who's going to really struggle. Craig, when will you advise a client to go to the short term? At what stage? You think this is a fair claim? You're surprised that the companies have repudiated? I would imagine you've gone back to the companies, you've done everything you can, but they still repudiate. What, how will you, will you help the client? In always, always. That's the responsibility of the broker. We'll even assist the client in completing the forms and wherever we can possibly to help lodge the claim. Uh, to the Ombudsman office. Obviously, as you mentioned, we will try our very best to uh, resolve or so, uh, have, find some form of solution with the insurers before we go and travel down the road of going to the insurance Ombudsman office. So what percentage of claims would you say, difficult to give a number, but where it's repudiated, you've gone back to the insurers, you've given them more information, they've now settled the claim, and so it hasn't had to go to the short-term Ombudsman's office. So Brian, you know, as a broker, we try our very best to not educate, but let the client or the consumer understand that this is the rationale behind the exclusion, why the claim has been rejected. So the percentage is very small. If the policyholder thinks that they still have been um, should I say that the claim should have been paid even with the assistance of the broker and insurer, you know, they're welcome to, to contact the Ombudsman office. And I think it's fantastic that there's an office like this available. It keeps everybody together and, uh, you know, it's, it's healthy for the whole insurance sector as a whole. Well, 9,200 people, successful claims, 87 million. This goes to show the need. Now, tell me, in terms of the phase ombud, we're all governed as financial, all of us are governed, but there's a limit of 800,000. Is there a limit in terms of what your office, in terms of a repudiated claim? Um, so we, well, I'm we, sure different, different types of claims. Yeah, so so for, her, for household, um, for homeowners insurance, um, we will accept claims up to 6 million. And for other insurance, we have a jurisdictional limit of three million, the value of the claim. And then we also have a limit on commercial policies of, of uh, 35 million for the annual turnover. So it's not just personal lines, it's no. across the board. Short we do, yes, but, but smaller commercial, um, as I say, the, the company must have an annual turnover of less than 35 million in order to approach our office. And Deanne, at what stage can they bring a claim? They've gone against the insurance company, they've then got, gone to law and they're not succeeding. Can they then come to your office or do they have to come to your office before they take it any further? Well, if they've had a, a court of law um, make a determination, um, then there's nothing we can do because there's already a judgment. Um, so they must, if they're going to come to us, they need to come before they go to court. Um, but they can come at any point that they have a valid um, complaint against the insurer. Um, so there, there are certain, it would, we see all sorts of things. So it's not just at the point of a rejection. Um, there can be um, other areas and if, if we feel that the insurer should still make a decision, we'll send it back to the insurer to make a decision on that matter. Um, and, but there are certain service related um, issues that come to our office. So it's not just about having a rejection of a, of a claim.
Well, I would not like our program tonight to give the wrong impression about the South African short-term insurers. The recovery by the Ombuds Office has been dropping every year, and the low overturn rate has decreased substantially. It is not because insurers have shifted their approach to try and not pay claims. I think insurers are taking a lot more trouble to provide service excellence and a general trend towards making the correct decision at the outset. The onus is really on the insured to provide all the relative information, however trivial it may seem, at the time of taking out insurance. Most important is to understand what you're insured for and be aware at all times of exclusions and warranties imposed by insurers. Lastly, being underinsured is always going to create problems for the insured. Deanne, Craig, I'd like to thank you for joining Thanks, this Brian. evening. It's important to note our program is to provide information and should not be construed as advice. Next week's program, we'll be focusing once again on the financial planning industry. And if you need to get hold of me, my details appear on the screen. I'd like to thank you for watching and good night.